If you've got a Bible, turn to Philippians uh, 3 this morning. Um, I just want to encourage you. We're in the middle of a series called Not So Fast as the world kind of opens up and um, gets back to normal. It seems like it is going fast. In fact, this morning I was talking with a couple of you and somebody said, man, just this week I, I saw a hundred things coming at me, business opportunities, and they're coming faster than my ability to process them. And if you feel the weight of that, I would encourage you to take notes today and even go back and listen to the last three messages. Because I think this series, from what you guys have been telling me, this has been hitting a nerve with a lot of us in a good way. Uh, God calling us to Sabbath and breathing and trust and rest. In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, there's a word that we don't even exactly know what it means, but the word that it translates as in our Bible is Selah or Selah. And they think it just means like a pause in the music. Like, the, the drums cannot constantly play. The guitar cannot constantly be strummed. It cannot constantly be words. In the Psalms is the, the songbook, the worship manual for the ancient Hebrews. And there was this thing, this Selah, that was like a rest, a, an interlude, a pause in the music. And we need more Selah in our hearts. You know, we need those moments where we just go, Whew, I'm loved. I loves me. He's given me grace. I have nothing to prove um, to him or to anyone else. Now, um, let's get going here. Stephen uh, Covey uh, has uh, an illustration in one of his books and a lot of his talks where he talks about how our lives or our time uh, or our life is like, a, is like a jar. A lot of you have probably seen this illustration. He says, you know, uh, in the illustration, he starts putting rocks in here and he says, you know, you, you've only got so much time, you've only got one life, you've got, and he starts putting in all these rocks and the first time he did it, he was actually in a room full of like college people or young adults and he puts all these rocks in and, and then he's got a thing of pebbles and, and he asks the students, can I get more in? And they're just thinking about the rocks and then he says, uh, then he pulls out a thing of pebbles and he puts more pebbles in there. And then he's like, well, can I get more in? And they're like, no. And he pulls out a thing of sand and then he pours the sand in. And then the, he says, well, can we get any more in? And they're like, no. And then he just pours water in there. And it, eventually it completely fills the jar. And in Stephen Covey's uh, famous illustration at the end, he says, now what's the lesson of this? And the students say something to the effect of there's more stuff than the jar can hold. And and he says, no, the point of this is to understand that you've got to put the, you've got to figure out what the big rocks are and begin to fill your life with it. Um, because if you put the water, the sand, and the pebbles in first, then you don't get the big rocks in. And I think it's a timely illustration. The problem for us in 2021 is what happens when you have more big rocks than you have jar. Like, and that's the reality that we're living in as we emerge as a culture from 18 months of sort of being inside and things, you know, get going is there are actually more big rocks than there are jar. And, uh, and if you feel overwhelmed with life and you're like, man, I'm not choosing sinful things. I'm not choosing wasteful things. It may be that there's just more good things even than there is jar. And I think we can begin to feel a bit of that. Um, the num uh, the fact that the number of rocks, the big stuff of life is bigger than the size of our jar. Somebody asked me the other day, I was talking with somebody and they were like, you seem like a big Red Sox fan. I was like, I am a big Red Sox fan. In my heart, it goes, Jesus, Natalie, 
Noah and Owen and the Red Sox. Like it's, it's a really simple equation. Like I try to keep those things in that order and that's not fully true. Like you guys fall somewhere in there between Noah and Owen and the Red Sox. But, uh, but some days it's, you know, it's close. Um, and so the truth is though, in my life, and I would love it if I wish we had time to go around the room and say, what are your big rocks? The truth is in my life, like I've got some big rocks. God's called me to be the pastor of this church, which means that one of the big rocks in my life is preparing God's word to share with you on Sundays. Another big rock in my life is praying for you. Every week, somebody will list on their connection card something you're asking for us to pray about. And every week, I want you to know, multiple times during the week, I pray for you over those things. And when you come to me and you say, hey, you can take that off the list, this happened. Um, God answered yes, or God answered no, or God answered not yet. I take that really seriously. Like, I try to pray for those things to the end. That's a big rock for me. There's also disciple-making. There's being a missionary to this community. These are all big rocks for me. There's coaching and training new church planters, people starting churches and encouraging other pastors. There's working with our staff here at the church. There's writing. I do a little bit of that. There's planning and reading and learning. And then there's the worst of all, administrative stuff. I hate administrative stuff so much. How many of you hate admin? You Praise the Lord. May our tribe increase and may God send more administrative people to help us because we'll make a train wreck of everything, right? Like, and then there's also family rhythms and personal growth and health things. And, uh, and those are the big rocks in my life. Like running is a big rock for me, running or riding my bike. I have to go do it about five days a week or I drive Natalie crazy. Like it's like a fog descends on my brain if I don't do it. And somebody might say, well, that's silly. It's not silly for me. It's a big rock that helps my mental health uh, during the course of the week. And I feel like my rocks often are more numerous than the jar size. And that is why that reality in 2021, and this is not that it's not true of other generations in human history, but especially right now where we have so many things that we can pick as a culture and as a people, that is why we need Sabbath. That's why one day out of every seven, God, I think, would have us pause, hit pause, the first day of the week even, is so that we can say, okay, this week I'm going to have more rocks than I'm going to have jar. And I need to say la so I can figure out what are the rocks that God would have me put into the jar this week. Now, um, uh, gosh, I wish we could talk about what your rocks are. If you're in a small group, maybe this week, like talk about what your rocks are that have to fit in your jar because I love that question. All right, Philippians 3, verse 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses in this today. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it and then we're going to kind of walk through it verse by verse and then we're going to talk through some applications of it. Paul is writing to what is arguably, probably inarguably the healthiest church of all the churches he planted or played a role in, the church at Philippi. They're incredibly generous. They seem to have a really good sense of themselves. Uh, it's the most uniquely started church of all the churches he started because of the diversity of people that he started it with. And it seems to stay healthy for a long time. But what's happened by the time that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, the Philippians, is there's been a group of people who have infiltrated the church. And they said, Paul came and he said, we have relationship with God by grace through faith alone. That's it, grace and faith alone. And out of that, as God changes the inside of our hearts, it begins to change the outside of us. The outside change follows inside change. 
Now, Paul has moved on. He's in another city. And this group is now infiltrating the church. And they've come in and they've said, no, you got to do some outside things to be right with God. It's grace. It's faith for sure. But if you don't do, and the specific thing that they called them to do was be circumcised. Because this was the symbol of salvation for ancient Jews. And so because the congregation had a significant portion of Jews and a significant portion of non-Jews, these people infiltrate and they say, hey, look, grace, faith's awesome. But if you also don't get circumcised, then you're not really a believer. And into that, Paul is going to say these couple of paragraphs that we're going to read today. Let's read them together. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I know some of you underline your Bible. That's a really fun phrase that we'll circle back to in just a moment. It's safe for you uh, because we live in the most safety obsessed generation in history. I read somebody post, uh, Lisa Collins posted on Facebook yesterday. She said, can you believe uh, Miss Lisa's a townie? She grew up here uh, a long time ago. And, and she said, can you believe my parents used to drop me off at the skating rink with money and drive away? Like, and I'm like, that's so true. I remember my mom doing that. Like nobody would do that anymore. Hardly. Right. Like we are so obsessed with safety. And here Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. That is no trouble for me to write you and is safe for you. Verse two. Now look out for the dogs. This is where he's going to speak to those infiltrators. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. The ones who want to say you have to add circumcision to your salvation. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in his flesh, I have more. Verse 5. Paul is here going to give kind of his resume, his credentials of following, uh, of being a, a religious person, of having the outward symbols of being good and the outward symbols of, if it were about outward symbols, he would have the outward symbols of being right with God. And you'll see what he thinks of it. Verse 5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. If you underline your Bible, that's another good word to underline. All this important religious resume credentials, he said, I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, let me just walk you through these verses really quickly if I can. Um, first of all, let me say in that verse one, where we're talking about being safe for you. When he says that safe for you, the right, a right perspective on life flows from praise. A right perspective on life and thinking flows for the Christian from praising God. Now, I don't mean like you have to listen to Christian music necessarily. I'm not telling you that. I'm also not telling you to be fake. Like if I play Christian music on the ride home today, that it's just going to magically capture my soul. That's not what I mean. Like God doesn't do magic tricks. It, he doesn't work that way. 
What I mean is, there are going to be some times where we're down, and we're tired, and we're empty, and we're tempted, and we feel like we're failing in following Christ, and, and praising and singing songs that are even hard for us to declare and even fully believe are going to be the thing that lift us up out of it. And if it comes like, if you're struggling and it, like you're exhausted and it's like, I can stand here and not sing because I'm exhausted or I can stand here and say, God, I am so exhausted right now, but I'm going to sing reckless love. I don't even know if I believe this. I'm so tired and struggling so bad. Let me encourage you just to err on the side of that. Pick that option. Don't be fake. Don't be a hypocrite. But following Christ can't always be like candy corn and, and, and rainbows and unicorns and cotton candy and the Topsfield Fair. Like sometimes it's just hard and we don't have to act fake. But every, the right perspective on life flows from a place of praise and a place of worship. If you're tired, stressed, unsafe, I would, or uh, feeling unsafe, Paul says the safest place you can be is having a heart that is choosing to praise the Lord right where you are. There's times where I've sat in, in these chairs, in this room. So this isn't like years ago or even weeks ago. And, and saying and lifting my hands and say, God, I can barely believe this right now, but I believe it. And that is enough. And that's okay. That's good. I want my kids to give me a hug and a kiss at night, whether they like me at, or not. There's lots of times they've gone to bed not liking us. There's probably times they've gone to bed wondering if we really even love them for making them go to bed when we do. But I still want them to come to me and know that I am a safe place. And the Lord is the same way. Continuing on. In verse 2 he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those flesh mutilators who would say it's faith plus circumcision. Watch out, he says, for those people. I want to tell you in the same way, I've never had anybody, um, we've never had a greeter at Christ Church Charlestown who asked people about their circumcision when they walked into church. Like nobody's ever walked in here and we've given you some weird outward sign. When Nat and I first got married, there was a church in our community that had a dress code in the restrooms. Like literally, do you remember that one? And uh, they did in the women's restroom. It was like, women, you can only wear skirts this long and da, 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 da. And it was crazy. Like that is crazy to me in 2021 that somebody would do that. I know there are places that do that. And uh, if you've ever been in one of those churches, I'm really sorry. That will never happen here. (laughs) That'll never happen here. Like, um, because that's doing faith plus something else, right? And Paul says, watch out for people who want to do faith plus whatever. And let me tell you that culture is going to add, try to add to your faith if it can't eliminate it. I don't have the quote exactly right. So will you throw the Corey Tim Boom quote up here? Um, Corey Tim Boom famously said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. And that's what culture wants to do to your faith. Nobody has a problem with you following Jesus in Boston 2021 as long as you don't encroach onto their territory and do it. And they would rather you be so busy chasing other things that you just don't follow Jesus. He just becomes another rock in the jar. And uh, that's how culture would view it. The church will do this too, by the way. Let me be honest. And when I say the church, I don't mean all the other churches. I mean, hear me today. Like, 
this is a struggle for any church, especially a small church, and I want to own it today. Um, we have to balance being a new church and a smaller church with adding guilt to the gospel to get a job done. We can't guilt, please, God forbid, like we don't ever want to guilt anybody into doing something. You know what? If we're trying to do kids ministry and there's not enough kids volunteers, we just need to not do kids ministry. Like juniors and Owen and your kids are solid enough. They can sit in here and do stuff. Like we're not trying to guilt people. We're not saying, oh, it's faith. Plus let's run ourselves into the ground to serve Jesus. Churches can do this. There's a temptation for us to do this. And Paul would rebuke that. We need to serve the Lord out of freedom and joy and as an offering to the Lord, not because there's a hole on the to-do list of volunteers that if you don't fill it and fill the hundredth role, it's not going to get done. We've got to be careful about that. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 2. Verse 3, he goes on and he says, we are the circumcision. He doesn't mean the physically circumcised. He means we're the people whose hearts have been changed. Christ and the gospel have changed our hearts and we worship by the spirit, he says in verse three. We glory in Christ and we put no confidence in the flesh. In verse four, he gives his credentials and he sort of, he says, if you want to, if you want to brag, like if we want to pull out our spiritual resumes, here's mine. He says, here's my pedigree and here's what I've done. My pedigree, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, my family, even before I knew what I was doing, was following the right religious process. And then he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the right race. From the right race. And then he says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, from the right family. So I have the right process before I was even born. I'm from the right race from the right family, all the stuff that these dogs, these mutilators count as a win. He says, that was me. I win. I would win. My resume is the best. And then he gives some credentials. He says, as to the law of Pharisee, this dude was a, an expert in the law. Like to, to be a Pharisee, if you got a paper Bible, let me get exactly right. In my ESV Bible, Matthew begins on page nine, or it ends on, the Old Testament ends on 988. 988 pages. My, my font doesn't look that big, right? To be a Pharisee, you had to memorize all of that. <laughs> and I don't mean like just recite it, like you had to learn the Emancipation Proclamation when you were in elementary school. I mean like you had to memorize it and then know it and be able to apply it to everything. Paul says, oh, those flesh mutilators? You want to check the resume? I'll quote all this for you. Every bit of this. And then he goes on. He says, as, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He says, literally, my name was Saul. I used to kill the Christians because I thought they were so crazy. The first martyr, the first person to die for following Christ, Saul, Paul was standing there. As it happened, he says, look, he says, I was blameless by the law. It was my job to get the bad guys. That was what I did. And these are big rocks. Can you see that Paul would say, these are big rocks, right, family? Somebody, some of us spend a lot of time and energy trying to keep our parents happy. Agree? A couple of you just chuckled. I heard you. A couple of you went, <laughs> Some of you have spent a lot of time and energy trying to do that over the years and you've realized that that's not a rock that's worth putting in your jar as much anymore. You're going to follow Jesus 
and not worry. You want to love them and honor them, but not become a, this isn't, that's not going to be the biggest rock in your life. I think that's, that's a good, that's a good way to live. Like family can be a big rock. It doesn't mean we write it off, but it means we've got to, we've got to understand we have a lot of rocks and only so much jar. Okay. Uh, our, our education and us trying to build the resume can be a big rock, a really big rock. And Paul says, look, my resume was amazing. Being impressive can be a big rock. Some of us walk into a room and we want to be the most impressive person in the room. And that is a big rock that will fill your jar and you only have so much jar. And Paul says, my credentials were unbelievable. But in verse seven, he says, but whatever I count and gain, I now consider loss compared to knowing Christ. He says, these are, these are some nice, big, beautiful, uh, good rocks. And he says, I count them all as loss. And in verse eight and 11, he says, in fact, I count everything lost compared to knowing Christ. He says, all things are rubbish compared to gaining Christ. Every single thing. I'm not going to preach about it long, but he even says, uh, and be found in him having a righteousness that is not my own. And some of us struggle with guilt when it comes to following Christ. And the beauty of the gospel, when someone is born again, when someone becomes a child of God, becomes a Christian, is that the Lord exchanges Christ's righteousness for our righteousness. So in salvation, in the death and resurrection of Jesus and me receiving that, I am declared not guilty legally and Christ exchanged, exchanged his perfect righteousness for my not good enough righteousness. So the big rock of having to try to impress God and always have it together, I don't even have to carry that rock anymore. That one's over here. Paul says all these big good rocks, they don't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is Christ and being found in him and having a righteousness that comes from him. And so Paul chose uh, to do three things in light of that. And I want to share them with you really quickly. One, he chose to forget. And some of us need to become better forgetters. He chose to forget his past failures embedded in his resume in verses four through six is the confession that he killed Christians for a living. He chose to forget his failures Failure can become a big old rock that we carry in our jar. He chose to forget it. He said, nope, not going to do that one. He also chose to forget his past successes. Sometimes, God love us, we can be like, man, you know, the, that thing God did in our past, Nick talked about this last week. You know that thing God did when I was 18? That was amazing. You know that thing God did six months ago? That was so awesome. I wish he would do that again. He doesn't do it. That can become a rock. The rock of past success and even past encounters with God can become something that fills our jar and the Lord would have us just follow him every day. His mercies are new every day. And so Paul chose to forget. The second thing Paul chose to do was to focus. Again, there are a thousand good rocks. And Paul said, look, I got this one thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to follow Christ and make him known. And we know from the New Testament, he was trying to plant churches raise up godly men and women, empower them and release them, and spread the gospel throughout all the large cities in the Roman Empire. And to do that, he had to say no to a lot of good things. He had to focus. And the third thing Paul did is he chose to follow. He chose to follow this not-so-fast 
um, series hopefully is a point where we can understand that this world will ask you to follow a lot of good things and only Christ is worth following. And so we want to pause every seven days to remember, okay, God, I'm going to take a nap today as a reminder that you are good. And as a good father and a good master, I don't have to hold everything together and say yes to everything and do everything. I just have to follow you. And you're so good that out of every seven days, the first day of the week, you ask me to just chill out and let you take care of things. And you have got this. So let me give you just a few applications if I can. I think we're doing all right on time. Here we go. Uh, I think we're going to put some of these up here. We'll try to put them on Instagram and Facebook later as well. Christ, this is, this is insanely important. Um, Christ and the gospel are not a rock in our jar. Christ is the jar. Jesus is the jar into which all rocks must fit. When Paul says, I want to be found in Christ, everything else is a loss. What he's saying is, I used to have this jar that was my life and religion was a big rock in it, a huge rock. But he says, I traded it and I'll follow Christ. And so every rock, my family, my ministry, how I love my wife, what we do with our finances, all these are big rocks, good rocks. They all have to fit in with the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's called me to be and do. What Boston will do is it will try to entice you. This is what it means to live in a secular society, a pluralistic secular society. To be secular is not to be worldly, it's to see things separately. And our our city and our culture in 2021 would have you say, dude, it's cool if you want to do the Jesus thing, like go to church, Read your Bible. As long as you don't do it to me, like you can even talk about what you believe. Like you can do those things. They'll put them in this jar. They're like, but you put that jar over here and you do that on Sunday. Don't let that come into our workplace. Don't let that come into our family conversations. Let's not make this thing awkward. That's to be in a secular society. It separates things. And so you've got your Jesus jar in Boston and we've got our everything else jar. And you put your rocks in here, and that's great. You put your Jesus rocks in here that have little crosses and Christian fish on them. And you keep those out of here, and you do these things over here. And if we just do this, then we're all set, and everybody can play nice, and it'll be okay. Like in this one at work, we'll talk about the Patriots. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about whether you're vaccinated, I've been really surprised. I was raised that you didn't talk about religion and politics in the world. That was, the, that was secularism encroaching in my life. Man, I've never, I've never lived in a place where people talk to me so much about whether I got a shot or who I'm going to vote for. It's unbelievable. Thank God I have not seen you guys do this at our church. This is how I know Jesus is in you and you are different from the culture. I, I never hear people talking about it here. I love it so much. I walked into a meeting one night and somebody asked me who I voted for for mayor. I was like, on what planet is that your business? Like, but because it fits in the secular jar of the city of Boston, we feel like we can talk about it because it's a big rock. But don't you dare talk about Jesus in that same way. We are not those people. Jesus is the only jar. 
If you want to be my friend in Boston in 2021, you better understand that how I vote, how I get the shot, how I raise my family, how I spend my money, what I do with my Sundays, how I love you, all of that fits into Jesus in the gospel. And if we have separated it, we have bought an unbiblical worldview. In the church of Jesus in our city in 2021, we've got to be a different people. And this is one way that we will be wildly different. Somebody told, Natalie has a mutual friend. And uh, through this mutual friend, she found out this week that uh, this other friend thinks she's weird. Because she follows Jesus. And I love that. I'm like, well, that means you're following Jesus well. Because in our city that tries to make these two things coexist, what that means is, babe, you've not done that very well. And everything follows through Jesus and the gospel. And in 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts, that is weird. We need to be as sojourners and exiles in this city, in this world, in this year. We need to be a weird and peculiar people. And the gospel does that. The gospel does that to us. The next thing I need to tell you, there are going to be more big rocks and there are going to be more rocks and there are going to be good rocks than there are jar. One of my mentors, uh, Neil McGlowan, his wife always says to him, Neil, you got a thousand good ideas, but only God knows which are the God ideas. And, I, and she would say, I need you to get to a quiet place and listen to him so you can sift out the good ideas from the God ideas. In your life, you're going to have good opportunities. You're going to have God opportunities. And you need Sabbath and pausing and resting and say, La, so you can sift through the good and, and from what is from God. Right? You're just going to have more opportunities. Let me tell you this. There's no slide for it. But drive and purpose are not the same thing. Our city operates on drive. Drive. Just keep fighting. Just keep hustling. Just keep going. Drive and purpose are not the same. Sabbath allows us to figure out the God ideas, to rest, to remember our purpose, and to remember and acknowledge that all the universe doesn't hinge on us. The next thing I want to tell you is that you were made for a purpose. You weren't just made to go get saved and go to heaven. God has a purpose for Scott. God has a purpose for Saul. God has a purpose for Lana. God has a purpose for Bonnie. God has a purpose for you. And our church was started in 2000, at the end of 2016, 17, for a purpose. There's something that God wants to do in Christ Church Charlestown that he is not going to do. He would never do through another church in this neighborhood. He will never do it in another neighborhood in the city. There's something that God has made this group of Christ followers to do in this neighborhood at this time that will never repeat itself in history. Our church was planted for a purpose. And that leads to the next thing for us and as a church. Therefore, you and we have to learn to say no. As your pastor, can I tell you, there are some things you need to learn to say no to. We need to become militant people about saying no. My friend and, and mentor, Terry Meeks, his son, Glenn, they would joke one time and they asked Glenn and the family, what do you think we should write on dad's cemetery, on Terry's cemetery? He said, I'm just going on his headstone. He said, I'm just going to write no. Because he said, my dad says no more than any human being ever. Well, part of that is because Glenn loved to get into mischief. 
Another part of that is because Terry understood purpose and who he was and what God had shaped him to do. And it freed him to say no to a lot of good things. There's going to be some good stuff like Paul that will have to become loss and rubbish in order to know Christ. I want to read you a paragraph from this book called Subversive Sabbath that I'm reading by A.J. Swoboda. He says, uh, often the restrictive demanding ethos of our world creates a hostile environment where we feel forced to become yes people in our jobs, relationships, and even at times in our churches. Often we feel free to say only yes to please those around us. The devil is most successful indeed when he pushes us to feel obliged to be yes people who have no choice or little ability to say otherwise. He considers his job done when we feel trapped to say only yes to the masses, our closest friends, even our religious authorities. The pressure can be overwhelming. As a result, we become a generation of yes people who feel unable to stand strong, unable to stand strong in the spirit who has already defeated the world and the devil's schemes. But we are able. The Sabbath is God's stand against the tyranny of always having to say yes. The Sabbath is God's gift of a no to us and our obsessive compulsive patterns of living. The Sabbath is God's solution to FOMO anxieties. On the Sabbath, we are in because we are with Jesus. God is with us and the world does not define us. We were never at its center anyway. Man, that is good. That is good. We have to learn to say no to some things. Next, I'll just share a couple more things and we'll be done. Clarifying what's central frees us and empower us to release the things at the edges. If this is your time and your money and your being, understand that you have limits. Every one of you have limits. When, you, when we feel extremely tired, it's because we are living at the limits and we all have them. And so if we clarify what matters most at the center, then we can release what is on the edges. If you feel like you're living on the edges, then figure out what matters most at the center, the big rocks in light of the gospel. And then let the pebbles and the sand and the water go. Give yourself radical permission to say no. When we give Jesus our best yes, it frees us up to say no to lesser things and lesser demands. Clarifying what's central empowers us to release what's at the periphery. If you need margin, ask, what's the biggest rock in my life? We're finite. The best of men are men at best. Uh, next thing I want to tell you, even with the church, these principles apply. Good rocks, small jars, purpose, saying no, clarifying the center. This is really important. I hope that you will hold me accountable to this. A few of you hold me accountable in love, and I hope you will hold me accountable to this. We need to differentiate between, but not separate, between following Christ and serving Christ and being busy with church. Sometimes churches tie those things together so tightly that people feel guilty in saying no. I've been in churches and even led churches, honestly, where at times we were like, oh, you love Jesus? Then you got to do da-da-da-da-da because we need somebody to do that. At one point at Christ Church Charlestown, we had more kids and kid volunteers than we had adults. Let me tell you, like, that is scary. <laughs> that is scary. It was like the tiny inmates were running the asylum for a minute, right? And we just needed people down there. 
And we had people working in kids when we were at the Kent who had no margin in their life, but they loved Jesus and they were part of a church plant and they just felt like they had to do it. I want to, as your pastor, help you differentiate, not separate. Like you can't love the groom, Jesus, without loving the bride, church. I meet people who are like, dude, I'm never going to church. I love Jesus. I'm good. Like on Sunday, like I can love Jesus from my house. And yes, that is true. But you can't say, JD, I love you. I just freaking hate your wife. I hate, I can't stand her. Nobody would ever say that by the way, but, and nobody has ever said that. But people in our culture feel very empowered to do that. Jesus, I love you. We're all set. Church, forget those dudes. I hate them. Jesus died for the church. He loves the church. And then you'll hear people say, oh, I'm part of the capital C church, but not the lowercase c church, like the local church. That is not an opportunity afforded us by scripture. Like we have to be part of a body of people and look around. This is not a perfect group of people. (laughs) Starting right here. And you're not perfect either. And we need one another desperately to become who Jesus has made us to be. But we have to differentiate between loving Christ and loving the church and feeling a guilt trip of having to do everything because it is the church or treating the church, Christ church, Charlestown or any church like it's perfect. It's not. We're a bunch of people saved by grace. We differentiate, but we don't separate following Christ and serving Christ and being busy with church. We love the bride because we love the groom and we have to be careful um, to not untether those, but not tether them too tightly. Busyness at church does not equal godliness. We need to follow and serve Christ, but have permission to rest. Listen, we have some awesome people here. Um, Juliana runs uh, the tech stuff. She's also somehow on the first impressions team. I don't know how she does both at once. She tries. She's like Hermione Granger in the um, third Harry Potter where she gets the time traveler thing and she's trying to be in two spots at once. If you've never read Harry Potter, uh, that will make no sense to you. She also leads the, co-leads the small group that we're part of. It's doing an amazing job with that. And when she agreed to lead the small group, we were like, are you doing too much? Like, you can say no. We'll figure this out. And she said, no, I want to do it. I think I have margin. Nicole does a ton. Nikki does a ton. Barb does a ton. It does a ton. You guys do a ton. You guys live, some of you live a ways away and you're faithfully here. And it's okay to say no. It's okay to not be here some Sundays. Like, don't ever think that I'm like, oh man, where's Ruth? I'm so mad at her. She's not here today. Give yourself permission to follow Jesus well as you love the bride. Okay. As you love the bride and love the groom. And let me say one last thing and we'll be done. This, this slow down saying no mentality is something that we need to model and even fight for in our community. In the last six months, I've sat on, uh, in development meetings for right for this, uh, C shaped building that they want to put around the 99. That's like seven stories tall and, and has no parking. 
I've sat on a meeting at Sullivan, uh, a development meeting at Sullivan Station, like right there. If you go into, into the Rotary at Sullivan Square, and then you go around, you know, there's a way to get to the casino. There's a way that comes off. You're going to the casino right there after that. They want to, they've wanted, I think we've killed it, to put a 27-story apartment complex. I sat in a meeting the other day for a project that is longing to be built on Medford Street, Right, right over behind Shrafts, coming toward my house, if you know where I live, like coming toward Anna's Cafe down that way, 1.7 million square feet of development with no plans for schools, no plans for parking, no plans for infrastructure. This is madness. And as Christians, this sort of like overdevelopment, we actually fight against. This overdevelopment, we need to say no. Is it good? Maybe. But in saying yes to that, you're saying no to a lot of other things. You're saying no and saying yes to schools where kids in the neighborhood don't have to get on a bus and ride four neighborhoods over. You're saying no to infrastructure. Like these are the things that we don't just follow Christ like so we can all be happy and this is awesome. We do it and we model what the gospel does. And the, mo- and the gospel allows us to clarify what are the big rocks and say no to a lot of other stuff. A lot of other stuff. I'm so thankful when Satan came to Jesus to tempt him at the very beginning of his ministry, right after baptism. And I'll close with this. Uh, Satan said, hey, Jesus, you've been fasting for 40 days. I bet you're hungry. Let me give you some bread. After 40 days of not eating... I bet bread would have been a really good rock, but it would have short-circuited God's plan. And so Jesus said no. And then Satan said, hey, Jesus, dude, you're just getting started on your ministry. I know you came here to save humanity, but you want to be influential? I'll make you famous. I'll make you famous. It's a good rock. It would have accomplished quickly what God wanted to do in the world through his son. But Jesus understood it was not the best rock. And he said no. And Jesus was militantly about dying for humanity and saving our souls. And so we sit here today because Jesus said no to a lot of things because his best yes was dying for us and being our savior so we can have relationship with God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we do this. We say no to a lot of things and yes to a few things. Yes, most of all to the gospel because you are good. And you said no to a lot. So Lord, help us say no. Help us understand there's a difference between drive and purpose. And help us to find our purpose and settle our purpose squarely in who we are in Christ and what Christ has done and what Christ wants to do in the world. I pray you would speak to our hearts right now. There's good things that we're saying yes to that we probably can say no to. Empower these people who I love people who you love these employees these employers these wives these husbands these people who are boyfriends and girlfriends to people moms and dads neighbors friends family members citizens we've got all these things just to say no to some things. Not so fast. Help us say no to some stuff. 
so we can get the best yes and show us in our hearts what it is we say no to. And God, if there's anybody sitting in the room who's never said the best yes to you, maybe they've even been religious and maybe their religious life has been one of the jars or uh, but separated from their Monday through Saturday self or maybe God, they've um, like religion's just kind of been a rock in their jar. Lord, would they have the courage today to trade that mentality for surrender and saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want to turn from treating you like you're a thing in my life and I want you to be my life. God, would you give people courage if they've never done that, they're in the room or watching online to do that today. We love you. We want to be yours. We want to be a different people. We want to be a different church. Help us do it. It's not, it's not flesh work. It's not effort work. God, that's spirit work. Help us be who you've called us to be. Would you do it in us and then do it through us? We love you in Christ's name. Amen.